God Network News. Where we give you a new perspective. On events happening in our world today. This is GNN. Welcome to God Network News, episode 36. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world, not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. This podcast is proudly listed at podcastpickle.com. In this episode of GNN, uh, we will be continuing with our reading of chapters from the new book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. And I hope that you're enjoying listening to these chapters being read to you. Uh, Today, we're going to be reading to you chapter three of There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. And again, this is our gift to you, our faithful listeners, as a free audio book to you of this really fantastic, really exciting, new and innovative book that has come out by Brian Hogan. And again, in the show notes, you can find a hot link to where you can get your own hard copy of that if you wish. One of our sponsors is GoDaddy.com, and GoDaddy.com has just recently told us that we could give you a special deal. If you click on the GoDaddy.com icon on our website and go to GoDaddy.com, anything that you purchase there, you can get a 10% discount if you put our promo code in there. Our promo code is CJC, and then the word SAVE, and the number 10. Again, that's C-J-C-S-A-V-E and the number 10. And then you'll get 10% discount off of anything that you order through GoDaddy.com. Visit GoDaddy.com today and get all of your internet needs taken care of. so we want to thank you for being faithful listeners to us. Uh, We're trying to continue to give you good content here, something that is really worthwhile to listen to and take the time to listen to. Please do send us a comment, send us an email, something to encourage us, or just to even let us know what you'd like to be listening to. So again, our website URL is www.godnews.com. .podomatic.com. Again, that's www.godnews.podomatic.com. That's our website. Please go to that. You'll find lots of other free resources and good materials on there. And the show notes, of course, are on there. And we give you hot links to where you can even send us an audio message if you'd like to. And we'd love to play that over our next episodes. So please go ahead and leave us an audio comment. Or just send us a, an email message 
there as well. You can do that. And take advantage again of all of our hot links to our friends, our other podcast friends that do help us a lot. And of course, we again want to thank you and say God bless you to those of you that have been so faithfully following us. So let's go ahead and listen right now to chapter 3 of There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, Chapter 3, Vision Quest. Back on the campus of our alma mater, only the tangy aroma of toner kept me awake as I searched their entire catalog of job listings for English and counseling majors. Out of all of the offerings, only one position held any attraction at all. I circled it and took the booklet home to Louise so she could follow up and get me an application. It was for a teaching post in a missionary elementary school on the Navajo Reservation in northeastern Arizona. An organization called Navajo Gospel Mission was offering to pay one half of our support if we would come and teach Navajo fourth and fifth graders. We had no idea what they meant by half support, but half of something was surely better than all of nothing. When I returned home from work the next day, Louise was buzzing with excitement. She had called the number listed and spoken with a board member of the mission who lived in our county. He had told her that while teachers were in need, their biggest need was for dorm parents for the boarding school boys. He thought we sounded perfect for that position and had the mission director in Flagstaff, Arizona, call Louise immediately. Tom Dolligan was an Irishman whose caring and love came right through over the phone lines with his brogue. Tom was so excited about our joining the mission that his enthusiasm spread to Louise. The two of them had practically sealed the deal before Louise remembered she ought to involve me. This was what I walked in on. I was on the phone to Tom within a couple of minutes of arriving home. It didn't take long for me to join in the general euphoria. We were going to be missionaries. It turned out Navajo Gospel Mission was a faith mission, which meant all workers had to raise their own finances through family, friends, and churches. Because of the Navajo Gospel Academy's urgent need for staff and the short time available for support development before school started in less than four months, we were guaranteed at least one half of the mandated support amounts by the board, no matter how much came in for us each month. We got the blessing of our church, the Los Osos Vineyard, visited three small groups to share the vision for the Navajo, and sent off a prayer letter to everyone we could think of. About a month and a half after I circled that listing, we were in Hard Rock, Arizona, in the middle of the Navajo homeland for Indian missionary candidate training. We and a group of other new missionaries studied Navajo language and culture, history and strategy of Navajo Gospel Mission, and spent a weekend living in a Navajo camp with a family, herding sheep and hanging out. We loved it. We also fell in love with the other young missionaries we were training alongside. Some were headed for other postings among the Navajo, but several families were targeting completely different tribes, like the Hoopa of Northern California and the Tarahumara of Mexico. We met one really unusual family, Rick and Laura Leatherwood and their three young boys. were training to work with the Navajo, but all Rick could talk about was Mongolia. He explained that God was calling them to the Mongolian people, but Mongolia was completely closed to missionary activity. Even short visits were impossible. Rick and Laura believed God was going to open Mongolia to the gospel and they wanted to be ready. So Rick studied the cultures of the world and had determined the Navajo were as close to Mongolians as he could get. 
Both semi-nomadic nations herded sheep, rode horses, and ate the same food prepared in the same way. They even lived in strangely similar round homes, the wood and mud Navajo Hogan and the felt-covered Mongolian Gare. The strong cultural connection was explained by the fact that the Navajo were among the last to come over the land bridge from Mongolia and Asia to the American continent. The Leatherwood family would live with and work among Navajos to prepare to penetrate Mongolia. Louise and I were puzzled and fascinated at the same time. God was planting a seed in our hearts that would take five years to bear fruit. About a month later, in August 87, we three Hogans moved into the boys' dorm in Hard Rock Station and prepared to adopt ten Navajo boys ranging in age from 5 to 11. We would have these boys from Sunday evening through Friday afternoon, 20 hours every day. The only time we were off-duty was when all the boys were in class and at mealtimes when they were all at the cafeteria. It was tiring but very rewarding. We had a ball playing with and training these children. Every evening we shared devotions with them and tucked each one into bed. The youngest students were not used to speaking English, sleeping in beds, taking showers, or even spending much time indoors. Everything was a learning experience. After school, we'd explore the rocky hills and colorful canyons, play capture the flag with the girls' dorm, and talk about Jesus. When the boys were in class in the mornings, Louise, Melody, and I would visit their families in their encampments scattered all over the region. We were thrilled as relationships with these other young parents slowly began to form. The mission had been operating under a mission station strategy in which the Navajo were expected to come to the mission compound for ministry, both practical and spiritual. The school was one device to influence these people. To our fresh point of view, this didn't seem to be working very well. The mission was not impacting many of the families in our area, not even those of our students. We felt we needed to go out and become a part of their world, not wait for them to join ours. Our strategy was very successful with the Navajo, and they began to invite us off the compound and into their camps. This caused problems for us with the older missionaries, and everyone was older. There was no one our age on staff. Most were our parents' age or older. We were bucking tradition and the status quo in a big way. Dorm parents had never ministered off the compound before. In fact, the four kid-free hours we had each weekday were not considered time off. It had always been used for working in maintenance, a task for which I am particularly unsuited. At any rate, we perceived that envy was at the root of the problems we were causing. Everyone working out there had originally wanted deep and satisfying relationships with Navajos, but the methodology of the mission station had ensured that those desired friendships would not happen. Now these first-term kids were being accepted by the locals in a way no one else really had been. Our popularity with our co-workers decreased in direct relation to our acceptance by the Navajo families. It got to the point where we were always in trouble, and it didn't seem right to involve our Navajo friends. The only people we could talk to were two missionary couples, Tom and Teresa Elkins, and Mike and Cora Hendricks, who lived 20 dirt miles or so away from Hard Rock. Tom and Teresa were with another mission and lived in the middle of nowhere with a Navajo family. They were our heroes and our friends. Mike and Cora ran the Navajo Gospel Mission Station in Pinon, Arizona. Motto, where the pavement ends and the Wild West begins. And were among the only non-Navajo in town. They were our only safe sounding board. Together these two families kept us sane. 
We met with Tom Dolligan at the end of the first school year. Linda, our direct supervisor in Hard Rock, was sympathetic and supportive of us and had made Tom aware of what a hard time we were having with the other missionaries. His suggestion was for us to go home for the summer to raise support. Actually, our support level was strong at 90 to 100% every month. This was a miracle since we hadn't done much at all to raise support. Most of the staff at Hard Rock lived on less than half their required support levels. We also would need to decide whether we wanted to complete the rest of our two-year commitment. Tom told us he was praying that we would return in September, but he would understand if we didn't. We spent the summer speaking to groups and counseling with our pastor in Los Osos. He told us he could not think of any reason why we would want to go back. But it wasn't that simple for Louise and I. We missed our boys and Navajo friends deeply, and we really loved the work. But it was hard to see how relationships with our fellow missionaries were going to improve. We kept calling out to God to show us what to do. Finally, he spoke to us very clearly. The Father told us that we would never learn real commitment in the local church, where we had the luxury of relating only with those we chose and with whom connecting was easy. We needed to go back and make the difficult relationships work regardless of how painful that might be. So we did. Everything. 